0: Hey everyone, I'm Chanel, and I will be reading the Bible for us tonight, and we are looking at Matthew 5, verse 21 to 26. Yes, you have heard that it was said to the people long ago, do not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with his brother will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to his brother, Raka, is answerable to the Sanhedrin. But anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell. Therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to your brother. Then come and offer your gift. Settle matters quickly with your adversary who is taking you to court. Do it while you are still with him on the way, or he may hand you over to the judge, and the judge may hand you over to the officer, and you may be thrown into prison. I tell you the truth, you will not get out until you have paid the last penny. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Thanks so much, Chanel. I get up here now, I really don't know what to say, because usually I'm give a welcome, but I've just done that, haven't I? I'll do what I can. Well, before we get into tonight's message, uh, I want to do a brief recap on what we talked about last week and uh, where we're headed uh, with this particular series as well. So, um sorry, someone's been playing with this and it's not working. Not working. Okay, we'll forget that. That's the thing that keeps us, especially me and Pastor Daryl, in check. But uh, we'll have to look at that during the week, see if we can get it fixed. So as I said last week, beginning in chapter 5, we get the Beatitudes. And we all know what the Beatitudes are. And this is a list of the characteristics that every Christian should actually have in their lives. And they should be clearly evident. Every follower of Christ is called to manifest these characteristics in growing proportions as they constantly submit themselves to the Lord Jesus Christ and the will of Jesus and it sets believers apart from the rest of the world. They become salt and light as a result and they are called to live in such a way that Jesus can shine through them so others are drawn to him. Believers are to do this as we learnt in order that God is glorified through them. Our lives, our attitudes... Thanks, mate. This will save you guys, not me. So. Oh, Scott, you just got a call. No, I'm only joking. <laughs> Our lives, our attitudes, um, our very character is to be a reflection of the life, the attitude and character of Jesus. And Jesus lived in order to glorify God. So as we approach this passage tonight, we see that Jesus becomes much more focused. in, In what we're about to look at and in the following weeks, we'll see that he targets specific topics. This evening, we're going to look at murder. Then it's adultery, divorce, honesty, revenge and love for your enemies. And lying at the heart of each one of these is our relationships with other human beings. Relationships matter, particularly within the Christian community. It is our relationship which tests our righteousness. And this is not my words, these are Jesus' words as said in John 13:35, by this all people will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. And it's when we show this love, uh, a love that is counter to the love that the world sells or encourages, uh, that we will be seen as true followers, true disciples of Jesus. And Jesus connects our relationships with spirituality. You cannot be a follower of Christ if you do not have love. Now, Christianity is founded upon a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, and that's our vertical relationship, but it's with man horizontally as well. Think about what Jesus said when he was asked what the two most important commands were. He said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment, and the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. The two go hand in hand. You can't have one without the other. You can't love the Lord or you can't say you love the Lord. You can't say you're a follower of Christ if you do not love your neighbor. And just in case you think there's a way out of it, uh, Jesus also said this, Love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse curse you. Pray for those who abuse you. So before we get into tonight, let's pray again. Father, I want to thank you for the passage of scripture we're looking at this evening. And Lord, I want to thank you for the Sermon on the Mount in general. There is such an incredible amount of teaching there. And Lord, I just pray by power of Holy Spirit that you'll minister to us this evening. You'll open our hearts, our minds and our ears to hear what you have to say. And we pray this now, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Remember that Jesus has just finished relaying his relationship to the Old Testament law and prophets. He hasn't come to abolish them. He's actually come to fulfill them. And he now provides his authoritative interpretation of the original intent and meaning of the commandments. And First up, he says, do not murder I don't think any one of us have any issues in saying, well, that's something that we shouldn't do, and that's certainly what the sixth of the Ten Commandments says. And the seven words uh, in the Hebrew that's used for killing, and the word that is used here and in Exodus 20 means a deliberate killing of a fellow human being. But it's not just murder in general. Uh, it's a premeditated or planned act. And it's not just the ones who physically commit that act of murder. It includes those who commit suicide. They're generally thought of to murder themselves. Uh, it's also though, it also includes sorry, those who are accessories to the act of murder. And surprisingly enough, it also includes those who are given the task to punish those who have murdered, and refuse to do so. So Numbers thirty-five thirty-one tells us that the punishment in each one of these cases is death. Imagine that, you've been given the task to kill someone who's murdered and you refuse to do it, so you're killed because you didn't do that. And no lesser punishment was acceptable. It wasn't negotiable at all where it says whoever murders will be liable to judgment as you see up here that's not actually in the Old Testament per se that's not actually in the commandments as such but it's a commonly held understanding uh, from a number of Old Testament passages that demanded judgment uh, for murder and from this first statement Jesus moves to his but I say to you statements And in this first series, he speaks about three ways that a person is separated from us, or in more practical terms, three ways that relationships are severed. And in each case, Jesus says, punishment is due. And first and foremost, he says, do not be angry. Now, I don't know how seriously you've taken these passages when you've read through them before, But I pray that, seriously, tonight, your eyes and ears are open. I pray that you will understand and hear what Jesus says about this, and that each one of us will realize that this isn't something to be brushed over. This is really serious. And he's calling us to take action as a result. Matthew 5.22 says, But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. And Jesus' authority is again coming through here. Verse 21 is God's word to men who have passed it on to others. And Jesus doesn't appeal to that. He says, you have heard that these men say that God said, do not commit the physical act of murder. But I am telling you, this is Jesus' authority again. He is equal in himself with God. He says, but I am telling you, that is not the original intent. That is not what God actually meant. And he clearly indicates here that he is God. And he and God, the Father, are not only concerned with the physical act of murder, they're concerned with the underlying heart and attitude that is actually behind that act. And Jesus is pointing out that the act of murder begins first and foremost with anger. When we're angry with someone, just think about it. We often want to get back at them. Even though we don't uh, damage them physically, so often we want to damage their reputation. We want to kill their identity. And whether we admit it or not, we want them to suffer. We don't see that as murder. But Jesus does. When we give in to anger, we no longer see the other person as a person created in God's image. It's an anger pointed at an individual. And that anger often distorts or is often distorted because of my own self-righteousness, what I think is right for me. It comes from a me-centered mentality. And it's amazing when you hear people speak about someone that they're angry with, how they use demeaning language. They mentally eliminate any and all of the good They eliminate any of the value they had with that person. They cut down any friendship and love that they once shared or could have shared. And effectively, they kill any chance of a relationship with that person. And Jesus says, You do that. If you're like that, you're liable for judgment. When we're angry, we fall into this whole name calling thing. And again, Jesus seems to know that. And he says, Don't insult your brother. And I'm not sure of the translation that you have in front of you, but tonight you heard the NIV uh, being read. And the section of Scripture says, again, anyone who says to a brother or a sister, raka, is answerable to the court. The ESV simply says, whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. And raka is an Aramaic uh, term, and it doesn't really contain an English equivalent. Uh, it's, different to tr- it's difficult to translate because it's not only about a particular word, it's also about a tone of voice. And it's to imply in tone or word that someone is a stupid fool, a brainless idiot, an empty-headed blunderer. It is an attempt or attitude of seeing the other as worthless. They're beneath consideration as a human being. It is a word that totally despises the other. In one of my commentaries, I read an account of Simeon Ben-Elazar. He was a Jewish rabbi and is told that once when returning in a joyful mood from the academy to his native city, he met an exceedingly ugly man. And this ugly man greeted him. And Simeon didn't return the greeting and even mocked the man on account of his ugliness. And when, however, this ugly man said to him, go and tell the master who created me how ugly his handiwork is, he realized how wrong he was this was one of the worst insults that could occur in biblical times it stripped away a person's identity it stripped away their name sorry and ultimately their identity and it replaced them replaced that with an offensive identity those who were guilty of this were liable to the council which is how they referred to the Sanhedrin or the Supreme Court of the Jews and we come to the final point of this passage Don't say your brother is a fool. This one is again highly insulting in the culture that Jesus is speaking. And this is possibly again lost in translation. Whoever says you fool will be liable to the fire of hell. And I believe the vast majority of us would be aware that this is where we get the word moron from. Our English word moron comes from the original word that is used here. And basically a moron is someone who constantly acts like an idiot. My family would possibly testify to the fact that I'm often a moron. Why are you laughing? I've just told you how serious this is. Anyway, what we possibly don't realise is that there is a moral side to this word as well in, in Scripture and psalm 14 man i've really messed this up haven't i okay we'll just forget that so psalm 14 one says the fool says in his heart there is no god these guys are corrupt they do abominable deeds there is none who does good And these people are not idiots, morons, or fools as we would understand them to be. These are people who are fools because they have no regard for God. And as a result, they're living the lives that they want to. And the psalmist says that they live highly immoral lives. In this context, to call someone a moron or fool is to attack their moral character. It's to imply that they're loose living and immoral. It is an intent to destroy the person's name and reputation. And when you're speaking about a Christian brother... Seriously, can you do anything worse? I personally believe that that's why Jesus says, anyone who does this will be liable to the hell of fire. And what we may not have noticed in each of these cases is that there is consequences of each of these things, but they get progressively harsher. And so if you're doing this, if you're part of this, seriously, judgment is coming. Man, I don't know what's happened to my slides. (laughs) Let's forget the slides. Judgment is coming. In the first case, Jesus said that if you're angry with a brother, you're liable to judgment. And this would be a local village council which would dispense justice. And it's made up of the village elders and things like that. In the second case, Jesus says, if you insult your brother, you'll be liable to the council. And as I said earlier, this was the Sanhedrin or the Supreme Court of the Jews. And in this final case, Jesus says, If you call your brother a fool, you'll be liable to the hell of fire, or as the NIV puts it, the fire of hell. Same thing. What Jesus is indicating is that these crimes become more and more serious, and so does the punishment. In this case, the attitude and act of destroying someone's name and reputation is liable to the most severe of punishment. Think about that for a moment. There is no punishment too severe for those who tell malicious stories, those who spread gossip, those who exaggerate someone's indiscretions. And keep in mind too, the the term that we heard for murder is not just the person who says that, it is the person who is also an accessory to that. So if you're standing and listening to what is being said, guess what? You are a murderer, guilty as charged. Not my words. Jesus' words, if you see nothing wrong with this attitude and action, Jesus is calling you out on it. It isn't just bad, it's deserving of hell. And Jesus says, fix it. I believe that Jesus could not speak more clearly about how seriously he takes anger, insults, name-calling and gossip or talk aimed at damaging another. But he makes us aware of the fact that this is murder, severing of a relationship, an escalation of division because it should not be. And he calls us on us to take all steps possible to fix it. And the only way to fix it is to seek reconciliation. If you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled with your brother and sister of course and then come and offer your gift. In this first illustration of how you should be trying to fix things, how you should seek reconciliation, it is about a brother who's coming to make an offering and he becomes aware of someone who has this grudge or who has been offended by him. And Jesus says, stop, don't do any more. You're there at the altar, you're about to make the offering. Don't do it. Stop right there and then. Go immediately to your brother or sister and be reconciled. The fact that Jesus says to leave that gift is an indication of the importance of reconciliation. He says it's above everything else. You've got to do it. And then we have this second illustration in 25. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you are going with him to court, lest your accuser hand you over to the judge and the judge of the guard put you in prison. Now, you may not realize it, but this is obviously talking about a Gentile and a Jew because there is no law that says that a Jew can be in prison for a debt that he owes. So this is a Gentile taking a Jew to court. And yet it's still the same thing while they're on their way to court. We're told Jesus calls the believer to settle matters quickly before the legal process is put into action. And it's a call beyond just settling the matter. The way it is worded and what it is actually said, it's a call to make friends with one's adversary. So the idea is that Jesus desires that his followers will ideally seek reconciliation with non-believers also in a manner that promotes friendship. Remember, we ought to love our neighbor. We got to love our enemies as ourselves. And this section, section of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount finishes with this last verse. Truly, I say to you, you will never get out until you have paid the last penny. Think about what is actually being said here. To repay a debt down to the last penny while imprisoned is totally impossible. There is no way that it can actually happen. And again, as Jesus emphasising the serious of not dealing with this problem of anger, he said to be angry at a brother is the equivalent of murdering him. And there is no way to repay the incredible cost of taking someone's life. Harbouring anger towards another is exactly the same in Jesus' view. When we leave problems unresolved, that sin will continue to destroy relationships within people. It makes unity and peace impossible. And when Jesus says, do not murder, his call is not about physically killing someone. It's about the intent of the law. We ought to nurture relationships between Christians and non-Christians alike. Anything we do which strips away the true character of a person, anything that damages their reputation, anything that sullies their name, we are guilty and we need to fix it. First and foremost... By repenting before God and then by seeking reconciliation with that person. I want to say, Jesus is deeply concerned for each one of us. And he's deeply concerned for the relationships and unity of his people. He's very concerned for the relationships and unity of us here at SDBC. He wants us to be united. He wants us to love each other. And he wants us to be known for that. That's what this passage tonight is all about. This is contained in the scripture because Jesus knew that people would not only get angry at their brothers and sisters, but they'll also justify their ungodly acts. They'll also justify being angry at each other. And my only request of you is to think about what being been said tonight. And to think about how seriously God takes all those actions that stem from anger. Murder is the ultimate physical act of anger. But, is clearly indicate, but as he's clearly indicated in this passage, you don't have to commit the physical act of murder to be judged as worthy of hell. And in case you haven't got it, this is serious. It's not something to be pushed aside. Uh, Please don't sit here tonight or at home in your lounge room or wherever you are and deflect what Jesus might be trying to say to you because you know someone else who should be listening to what is said. We have this habit of saying, well, Charlie should listen to his own words or if only he knew what happened to me or if he knew what this person did to me. And we want to justify our actions again. Jesus calls us guilty. And he's calling us to account. We don't have any way out of it unless we come to him. This is about you and God. This is about getting your relationships right here on earth. So your relationship with God can be all God intended it to be. I believe this is unconfessed sin in many people's lives and I believe it's hindering you from being all you can be for him and his glory. We spoke about when people are angry, they often want to get back at the person involved and I want you to ask yourself now, have you ever desired, wanted or thought about how you could get back at someone? How you show them for who they really are? Have you ever wanted someone to suffer? Have you ever considered someone to be a fool, to be totally worthless? Have you ever set out to label someone in a way that damaged their reputation, their identity, or the name that they had? Likewise, have you ever participated in gossip? an accessory to murder. I know the vast majority will say no, but if you've been part of a conversation where things were said about someone which you accepted, you just took it on board, and maybe even told others, without checking that information with the person being spoken about. In each of these cases that I've just mentioned, there is no punishment. No punishment. Too severe for those who participate in such actions. Again, not my words, Jesus' words. I want you to listen to these words from Proverbs 16, 16 to 19. There are six things that the Lord hates, seven that are abomination to him. Haughty eyes, looking down on someone a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that make haste to run to evil, spreading gossip, a false witness who breathes out lies, and one who sows discord among the brothers. You have heard from the passage we focus on tonight that there is no judgment too great for those who commit these acts. And you heard from Proverbs that God hates these very things. In all that we've discussed tonight, I believe God is putting his finger on this attitude in the lives of many individuals here. I believe he wants you to realise the seriousness of anger and all that is related to it. And he's putting your finger on it for one reason and one reason only. He wants it fixed. He wants it changed. He wants that attitude gone. I told the story of Simeon a little bit earlier, and what I didn't tell you was that he immediately realized he had sinned, and he asked this man for forgiveness. And you know what? Initially, the man refused. And the man didn't know that this guy was a rabbi. And so he followed him back to his place, and all the rabbis' followers begged this man to forgive him. And he was astounded that Simeon was a rabbi. But as Simeon continuously begged for his forgiveness, ultimately he did forgive him. We need to fix this, seriously. We need to change this attitude. We need to seek those we have offended, those we have fallen out of relationship, and take every step we can in order to be reconciled with them. Sometimes it doesn't work out. That's the sad thing about this. But we need to take every step possible in order to be reconciled with them. Judgment is coming for those who don't. And again, they're not my words. They're Jesus' words. Let's pray. Father, I want to thank you for this word this evening. And Lord, it's a hard word. It's a challenging word. But Lord, I've no doubt that you've been speaking to people this evening. I know you spoke to me as I prepared this message And Lord, I just pray they won't leave this place without dealing with this tonight. I pray that they will seek you, that Lord, if necessary, they'll come and ask for prayer. And Lord, they'll repent. And Lord, I pray that you'll stir the hearts of each one of us, that we'll want to be reconciled with those that we have broken relationships with, and that you'll give us the courage to take those first steps in order to make that happen continue your work by the power of holy spirit i pray father amen